Well, welcome to The Crossing today. Good to see you. Glad you made this part of your weekend. I want to let you know what's happening next weekend. We are doing baptisms after every service out in the courtyard next weekend. And so if you are a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, this is your next step. Or maybe you've just been thinking, okay, it's time for me to take this step. Well, you'll have the opportunity next weekend. You can fill out the connection card to let us know that, or you can just show up next Sunday and be a part of our baptism Sunday. Well, um, let's go ahead and give a big welcome to our Southeast campus, those who are watching online, our microsites. <clears throat> Glad that you're part of the Crossing family with us. We're in this series called Open Doors. And maybe you have a big decision that's going on in your life, and you just wonder, how do I know God's will for my life? How do I know what these open doors are for me? Now, an open door is not just any opportunity. This is a divine God opportunity. The way John Ortberg talks about it in his book, he says, open doors are divine invitations to make our life count with God's help for the sake of others. And our theme verse comes out of Revelation chapter 3. And Jesus is speaking to a church in Asia Minor called Philadelphia. And here's what he says. He says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. That no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And this idea of an open door, this is the idea of a divine opportunity. This is an invitation from God to make your life count. And God is the God of open doors. God has a will for your life. Well, let me kind of recap where we've been these last few weeks, just to kind of remind you, and if you weren't here, just to bring you up to speed. We talked about this foundational principle for knowing God's will is this, is that God's will is more about the person you become than the door that you choose. See, God's ultimate will for you is that you would become like Jesus. That's God's ultimate will for you. And so God's will is more about this person that you're becoming than the door that you choose. It's more about the person that you are than what you do. Well, last week I talked about these four questions to ask to help you discern God's will for your life. These four questions. And question number one is, does this line up with the Bible? What does the Bible say about this? Because God's moral will is already written in the Bible. That he is not going to tell you something that is different than in the Bible. Does it line up with the Bible? Number two, does godly counsel agree? It's having some people of wisdom, godly people around you who love you, want God's best for you, who have good judgment, who can speak into this. That many times we discern God's will through other people. The third question is, do the circumstances point to an open door? That God always leads us through circumstances. That God always leads us. And so we look at these circumstances in front of us and we begin to look at that and say, could God be using this to lead me in to an open door? And then this last question is, how is the Holy Spirit guiding? That if you're a follower of Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's God's Spirit in you. And it's learning to listen to the Spirit. One of the reasons why 
We feel like God speaks to us in this environment. It's not that the Holy Spirit is more at work in this room than it is in your life. It's that we get rid of all of the distractions and we're focused in on what God wants for our life. And so we're able to hear. Well, today, today we're talking about this idea of when there's two doors, how do we decide between door number one and door number two? When there are two opportunities, how do we decide? Because here's what our biggest fear is. We have this fear of choosing the wrong door. So how do we know? How do we choose between door number one, door number two, what's God want me to do? Both of these seem like a good door, but I don't want to choose the wrong door. Coming to Las Vegas was a huge open door for my family. It was in 1994, we got a call from a guy by the name of Mike Bro. Mike had just started a brand new church here in Las Vegas called Canyon Ridge Christian Church. And he was looking for a student ministry pastor. And he had called me to see if I might be interested in interviewing for that position. Well, I grew up in Kansas. I was a youth pastor in St. Louis. And so Las Vegas wasn't even on my radar. I never never even wanted to visit Las Vegas, much less live in Las Vegas. And I go home to tell my wife about this because I figure she's just going to just, you know, shoot the whole thing down. And I said, hey, you know, Mike Broke called me about this new church in Las Vegas. She goes, that's really interesting. I think we ought to check that out. And I looked at her and I says, who are you and what have you done with my wife? (laughs) Well, we decided to come out the first weekend of March 1994 and interview for that job. Candy Ridge was a portable church at the time. They met at Cimarron Memorial High School. And I remember we sat over on this side of the auditorium. And I remember we just wept through that service because we felt the calling of God so strongly to come. It was like a burning bush. We knew this is where we were supposed to be. But I was so confused because I didn't think I was going to get the offer. I thought they were going to offer it to the other guy that they were interviewing. Well, a couple weeks later, bro calls me and he said, Shane, we think that you're the guy who's supposed to be here. But we want you to know that this is a calling from God that's so strong in your life and not just a good opportunity. He says, I'm not going to tell you how much you're going to make until after you've decided to come. We'll just take care of your needs. I promise we'll take care of your needs. Well, I would have come for free. I would have come for free to be a part of that because for us, it was door number one or door number one. It was, this is where God wants us to go. But starting the crossing was much different. Starting the crossing was this process of elimination for our family. It was this process of elimination for me. When I was at Canyon Ridge, there was this church that was in Indiana that was looking for a new senior pastor to transition their church. They were this traditional church, and they were looking to transition to reaching a new generation of people. And they loved what we were doing at Canyon Ridge. They said, we would like for you to come do that at our church in Indiana. Well, they had come down to see me. They sent four or five people to come see me preach and to interview me. And we were out at dinner one night, and I just began to talk to them about this opportunity. And I said to them, I said, if you want to reach this next generation, then you need to stop leading worship with an organ. I go, most people do not listen to an organ anymore. And one of the ladies who came down here, she says, well, except for a funeral. I go, my point exactly. There's a lot of dead things going on in your church, and you need to to begin to transition that. And for us, 
It was this process of elimination. Do I want to go lead a church and transition them? It's a lot of work to transition them. Or do I want to start a new church? It's a lot of work to start a new church. And so for us, this became the process of elimination. We think God is calling us to start a new church. Well, we always thought that we would start a church here in Las Vegas, but then there was a church in Colorado that called us, and they wanted to start a brand new church in Colorado. And so Darla and I, we flew down, and we met with this executive team when we were there. We toured this area that they wanted to start this church in Colorado, and it is beautiful in Colorado. We just loved it. It was just one of these things we thought, we think we want to live here. And they said to us, they said, we would love for you to come and plant this church with us. There was a large church that had several hundred people who were going to go plant this new church. And they had $450,000 in the bank ready to start this church so we could buy equipment and get this thing launched. Well, as we began to think about this, we came back home and Kevin Oder, who was the pastor of Canyon Ridge at that time, He said to me, he said, Shane, I always thought that you were supposed to start a new church here in Las Vegas. He said, but we don't have any money in the bank, and the elders don't even know that we're thinking about this, so we don't have any approval, and so that means there's no people who are ready to go with you, but we think that you're supposed to do it here. Well, we agonized over this decision. We thought and we prayed and we talked to people and we got advice and choosing a door is rarely easy. And I had this fear, what if I choose the wrong door? What if I was supposed to choose door number one and I choose door number two and I wonder, why wouldn't God just make this plain to me? And even though everything seemed so great in Colorado, we felt like we were supposed to start a church here in Vegas. So when we moved to Vegas, it was so clear. It was like door number one or door number one. But starting the crossing was this process of elimination. We walked through one door, and then we had to walk through another door before we started the crossing. It was how God worked in us. And so for most of us, we look at these doors and we go, is it door number one or is it door number two? How do I know? And sometimes when I think that that I desperately want to know God's will, what I really want to know isn't God's will. I just want to offload the anxiety of the decision-making onto God. I just, I just want to take this worry that I've been agonizing over and say, God, I want you to go ahead and decide this so that I don't have to decide this. There's a Princeton philosopher by the name of Walter Kaufman, and he coined a phrase. He called it decidophobia. <laughs> said, most of us have decidophobia. We are afraid to make decisions because we're afraid to make the wrong decision. And so consequently, what we do is we don't make any decision. Because we look at these decisions and we think, well, what if I get it wrong? What if it uh, doesn't all work out for me and we have a hard time choosing? Because once we choose, there's no one else to blame but us. We can't hide from our bad decisions. They are just out there. And so we're afraid to make a decision. And so what so many of us in this room do is we just choose not to make a decision. But that is a choice in and of itself. The Bible has a word for people who choose well. It's this word, wise. It's wise. Wisdom in the Bible is the ability to make good 
decisions. See, the biggest, the biggest difference between people who flourish in life and those who don't is not money. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how little money you have. It's not about talent. It's not how talented you are. It's not the connections you have. It's not knowing the right people. It's not luck. The difference is wisdom. It's the ability to make good decisions. And what I want to talk to you today is about some big principles about the wisdom of choosing the right door. How do we get this wisdom in us so that we know, is it door number one or door number two? So I want to start off with James chapter one. James is the brother of Jesus. And James writes this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. That if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God Because God wants to give his wisdom in to you. That he wants you to have wisdom. That you seek God and when you ask God, he says that God gives the wisdom. Every day, I face these decisions in my life and I ask for wisdom. Sometimes it's it's big decisions and small decisions. God, I just need wisdom. Sometimes when I'm in the middle of a conversation, I'll just say, God, you need to give me wisdom on how to respond. Because I don't know what to say here. I I don't know how to advise them. God, I need wisdom. I I pray for wisdom on a daily basis on God. I just need you to tell me what to do. James tells us you ask for wisdom and God gives wisdom. But what's interesting is the context of this verse right here is about trials. Because how he started off two verses before this. James starts off in verse 3 and he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Do you know know what I ask for when I'm facing trials? I ask for relief. I don't ask for wisdom because I want a way out. I want God to get me out of this. James says that trials are a tool that God uses to develop our character. And wisdom is seeing everything from God's perspective. And what we find throughout the Bible is that sometimes an open door will bring hardships and struggles, but God is in the character-forming business, that God uses these to form our character. And it's saying, God, grant me the wisdom to see the way that you see it so I can respond the way that you would respond. So how do we get wisdom? How do we get wisdom? We ask for wisdom. He says, you ask for wisdom and God gives us wisdom. That we begin to see these things. And when I'm going through something in my life, I begin to pray, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me in this? What do I need to learn in the midst of whatever I'm going through? God, give me wisdom. And then there is a second part of this, is that we begin to pursue wisdom. Not only do you ask God for wisdom, but you begin to pursue wisdom in your life. That you go on this pursuit to get wisdom. Because if you want to know how to grow in wisdom, if you want to know how to discern between door number one and door number two, you pursue wisdom. The nation of Israel loved wisdom. Solomon was the third king of Israel. And when Solomon became king, God said, you ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He says, I don't want riches. I don't want fame. I want wisdom. 
He asked for wisdom. And he wrote, the entire, he wrote an entire book of the Bible based on wisdom. It's the book of Proverbs. And Solomon talks about wisdom as if wisdom is a person. He personifies wisdom. And he makes wisdom a she, which makes sense to me. It makes sense to me he does not make wisdom a he because women tend to just be wiser than men. Right, ladies? Hey, I thought you'd be with me on that. Well, here's what he says about pursuing wisdom. This is out of Proverbs chapter 8. He says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice at the highest point along the way where the paths meet? She takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city at the entrance. She cries out. This is wisdom crying out to us, saying, to you, O people, I cry out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple gain prudence. Simple. This word simple just means naive. Some of you in here, you're naive. That's not a bad thing. You just lack life experience. He says, to the simple gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. What a fool is, is a fool is someone who knows between right and wrong and they don't care. They choose whatever they want to choose. A fool is somebody who is never wrong. You talk to them in your life and you can never convince them that they're wrong because they feel like they are always right. He says, you who are foolish, set your hearts on wisdom. You set your hearts on it. Then he says, listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. Listen. See, wisdom says to you, you need to listen. You need to listen to wisdom because wisdom is speaking to you so that you will know what to do, so you will know what is right. That's what wisdom does for us. And then Solomon gives us the results of wisdom. It says this, it says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. If you have a pride problem, it is in direct conflict with wisdom. See, if you have pride, it's this idea of saying, well, you can't say anything to me. I don't need to learn anything from you. See, pride is in direct conflict to wisdom. And here, as he even says this, that evil behavior and perverse speech, that you get rid of that. Because remember, it's more about who we become than what we do. And he goes on. says, counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. This is wisdom speaking into us. Wisdom says, I can give you knowledge and discretion. Wisdom says, I give you counsel and sound judgment. Wisdom says, I give you insight and power. In Proverbs chapter 2, Solomon says that wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. Because he talks about there is a path that if we choose to go on it, this path to follow wicked people, it will take us somewhere. That wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men and wisdom will save you from the adulterous affair, he says in chapter 2. Let me tell you one of the ways that I try to pursue wisdom in my life. One of the things that I've done for years is just read the proverb of the day. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. And so there's just the proverb of the day. That today is October 1st, so I read Proverbs chapter 1. 
And then if I miss a few days, I don't stress that out. If I miss a few days on October 5th, I just read Proverbs chapter 5. And I have done this practice for years because Proverbs is full of these wisdom principles. It's full of these wisdom principles. If you begin to live these principles out in your life, you will become wiser. You'll be wiser in the way that you approach relationships. You'll be wiser in the way that you handle conflict. You'll be wiser in what you do with your money. You'll be wiser with the things that you say. See, it's these two big principles that we ask for wisdom and we pursue wisdom. Well, what I want to do with the time that we have left is I want to give you some practical steps about choosing between door number one and door number two. How do we use this wisdom to help us choose between door number one and door number two? And here's this first suggestion right here. It's you practice on small doors. See, a lot of us, we think about our decisions as these life-changing decisions. What school should I go to? Who should I marry? Where should I live? What job should I take? That we have these great big decisions. Well, the best way for you to begin to learn how to make these big decisions in your life is you practice on a lot of small doors. You practice on a lot of small decisions because open doors are not usually about great big decisions. Open doors mostly involve following Jesus. By doing what Jesus actually said to do from one moment to another moment. Because every moment has a door. This moment right now has a door. That I seek to do what Jesus actually said to do. Many times if we ask what would Jesus do in a moment like this, it gets very clear for us. A while back, I got a a very nasty email from somebody at church. He was upset about something that I had said on Sunday morning during a message. He was actually upset at something that he thought that I should have said that I didn't say. And he said in this email, he says, I never do this. But then he went on to just blast my character, which makes me think, you've done this before. (laughs) And it was angry. In my opinion, it was completely unfair. It was just a nasty email. And I begin to think about the words of Jesus, where Jesus says, to love as I have loved you. And so I just said to Jesus, if you want this person to receive patience and love, I'll have Scott Whaley respond. (laughs) I I ran into a, a, a friend of mine a few months ago as a pastor here in town. And he was going through some financial difficulty. And he was telling me, he said, Shane, I don't even know how I'm going to pay for food this week. I'm just trusting that God is going to provide. Well, I didn't have much on me. I just had a few 20s. But I remember Jesus' words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I've been on the receiving end of generosity many times. And I just felt to give him everything that I had. I said, here you go. You have all of this. It's not going to pay for everything, but I hope that it helps. Because I just felt led by God to do that. God was using me to help meet some of his needs. 
I was driving on the 215, and it was one of these times where they were merging all of the lanes together. You know what I'm talking about. Well, I did the right thing, and I had merged early. I got in line, and there was this guy who passed the whole line of cars, and he comes to the very end, and he wants to sneak in, and he's right beside me. You know the guy I'm talking about, right? (laughs) And he's right beside me, and he wants to merge in to the lane, and I remember the words of Jesus. Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) Go on behind me. Maybe that's not the way it was supposed to be applied, but it's how I applied it on that day. Here's the way the Apostle Paul says this, Galatians chapter 6. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. As you have opportunity. You do good. As you have the opportunity, you begin to practice on these small doors. The way that we prepare for the big doors is we practice on small doors. Well, here's the second thing right here is reject the myth that says, if I choose the wrong door, then I'm on God's plan B for the rest of my life. This is where some of you are right now. Because somewhere along the way, you chose a wrong door. Somewhere along the way, you made a mistake in your life, and you have this feeling, I'm on God's plan B for the rest of my life. God can never use me. That I'm going to forever be on plan B. No, you're not. No, you're not. God loves to redeem choices and people and lives. A pastor by the name of Craig Groeschel has a saying. He says, if you're not dead, you're not done. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what mistakes that you've made in the past. If your heart is still beating, God has a purpose for you. God has an open door for you. Some of the saddest stories are about calls that never get answered, doors that people never walk through. John Ortberg talks about the research around the psychology of regret. And one of the most striking findings is the way that regret changes over time. That short-term regrets often involve wishing I had not done something that I did. I wish I hadn't eaten that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. But as we get older, regrets shift to the actions we did not take. It's the word that I never spoke. It's the gift that I never gave. It's the risk that I never took. It's the serving that I never offered. And sometimes we just stand there and we go, well, I chose wrong, so I'm just on God's plan B forever. No, you're not. Moses is 80 years old when God calls him to go to Pharaoh to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he had made a terrible choice years before. He killed a guy. And God uses that. David, King David, made a terrible choice. He chooses to have an affair, and then he tries to cover it up in the worst way imaginable. And not only does God use him after that, God even calls him a man after God's own heart. If God's primary will for your life is for you to become like Jesus, then he can use a wrong door to shape a right heart. And God is not done with you yet. Well, here's this third learning. Sometimes God just says, I want you to decide. Sometimes there are these two doors, and he says, you choose. 
Which one do you want to walk through? Because it's okay. See, decision-making is an indispensable part of character formation. And God is primarily in the character-forming business, not the circumstance-shaping business. That God wants to form your character, which means that you can be in God's will, and God says, you choose. You choose, and either door will, will be my will. I remember wrestling with what felt like an overwhelming decision. And I didn't know what to do. I had these two options, and I just agonized. I was talking to my father-in-law, and I shared with him these two scenarios. And he listened to me, and he finally said, what do you want to do? And I go, well, what I really want to do is this. He goes, then that's what you ought to do. You need to go through that. The reason that we get paralyzed by indecision is we have this fear of failure. We've either made a big mistake in the past and we're afraid of making that same mistake again or we're haunted by someone else's failure. And so we take their failure on ourselves. Well, if I walk through that door, I'm going to fail just like they did. You know, if I choose this wrong door and we are consumed with making the perfect choice that we just don't make any choice. Sometimes God just says, I don't care. Now, he's not saying that he doesn't care about you. It means that either choice will honor him. See, sometimes God has a specific assignment for somebody like he did for Moses. Sometimes God will have a specific assignment for you. But there's other times where God will just, he knows that you will grow more from having to make the decision than if he were to send you a text message telling you what to do. When we wrestled with starting the church in Colorado, if we would have gone there, we would have still been under God's blessing. Our life would look much different than it does today. The path would have taken us to a much different place. But God still would have blessed our lives and blessed our ministry. It's trying to use wisdom to say, God, speak into me. Here's what it says in Philippians. Chapter 1, it says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That you may be able to discern what is best. But see, here's this bottom line. I just want you to be like Jesus. God, God's greatest door for you is to be like Jesus. But God gives us wisdom. We are marked by the doors that we go through, and we're marked by the doors that we don't go through. And maybe right now you have this decision between door number one and door number two, and you don't know what to do. Here's what God says. He says, ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. God will generously give it to you. And you pursue wisdom. That you pursue wisdom through God's word. You pursue wisdom by the people God has put in your life. And you let God speak through those things to help give you wisdom. And then for some of you, it's time for you to walk through that door. It's time for you to do something. God has this wide open door for you, and he's just calling you, come on. 
It's time to walk through that door. It's time to go on this great adventure that God has on the other side for you. Well, I want to pray with you. And maybe it's just saying, okay, God, give me wisdom. Help me to be wise in the decisions that are in front of me right now. God, thank you for being the God of the open door. God, leading us and guiding us to what you would have for us. Knowing that many times, God, that we grow more from having to make the decision than if you had just told us what to do. And you're in the character-forming business. You want us to be like Jesus. So, God, give us wisdom. But, God, also give us courage to step forward, to go through the doors that you want us to go through. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.